it, it, we have unmatched natural resources in the state of Texas, unmatched. And, and it, it's, I feel the huge responsibility to be a steward of that, as do many Texans. Break down real quick, which, and I, I think I know where you're going, but what do you mean by unmatched? It, we, we, have, we have more species, whether they are game animals, non-game animals, protected animals, protected birds. It, it's just we have such an abundance of natural resources that other states don't. Maybe Florida might match us in, in the amount of species that are available, whether you're a wildlife photographer, a, a bird watcher, a hunter, an angler a paddler, a hiker, a biker, you know. So in Texas, we're blessed. We're blessed with all of these natural resources, right? And, and, and I feel like, actually, I don't just feel like this. I mean, those resources belong to the people of the state. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this podcast, you can go to www.myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. So if your Marine needs some help spelling it like I do, MyExperienceRealtor.com, click on podcasts. You can download all of these episodes on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, and then you can learn more about our guests by clicking on the Read More. And I am excited and honored to have my guests here today, Danny and Chad. Danny and Chad, welcome. Thank Thank you you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So just to set the stage of... Texas Parks and Wildlife and Operation Game Thief. I was honored a year, year and a half ago to be asked to be on the board. And I was, one, I was really excited because I was trying to get off all the other boards I was on. And I really didn't want to be on any more boards, but I am passionate about what we're going to talk about today. And so that way, the audience who can also be educated on what Texas Parks and Wildlife, as well as Operation Game Thief is, means this is going to be a super education. And if you're a hunter or a shooter, you're really going to be interested. So, gentlemen, before I start any of these, my father-in-law requires me to tell a joke. Even though I don't know why he requires me, he doesn't pay the bill to my production team here. But So I purposely do bad jokes. So I've got a, a joke that I, I think will fit in for today. Y'all ready? Ready. Yes, sir. Okay. So... There's this game warden. <laughs> Drum roll. No, okay. it's game warden. Right. Of course. He hears a gunshot. He looks up on this hill. He sees this shiny truck. And, you know, he goes up there and sees, you know, the hunter. And he goes, man, that's a good looking bear you shot. He goes, hey, thanks. And, of course, Chad's looking at me right now. He's like, bears? We don't shoot bears in Texas. We're right. It's too hot for bears in Texas. Let's say we're... Did have bears. <laughs> so he sees his bear and he goes, well, what'd you shoot him with? And he brings out this really nice rifle. And he's like, man, that's great. And he goes, can I see your hunting license? And the hunter goes, I, I, I didn't know I needed a hunting license. So the hunter gets arrested. The hunter gets his truck 
is very expensive, nice tr- new truck confiscated, the gun confiscated, the now dead bear confiscated. And, uh, you know, okay. Year later, same game warrant riding around, same area. Here's another gunshot. I mean, you're always hearing gunshots, but same thing. Here's a gunshot. Looks up on the hill, sees another very nice brand new truck. Drives up there, sees the same hunter. And as soon as the game warden walks up, he goes, hey, 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 look, I've got my hunting license. And he's like, man, that's fantastic. And he goes, yeah, and this is, I mean, since y'all took my last truck, I got a new truck. And since you took my last rifle, I got, I got a new rifle. And he goes, man, that's, that's, that's nice. But you're, you don't have a bear stamp on your hunting <laughs> license. So the hunter gets arrested. He gets his gun confiscated, the bear confiscated, and then he gets a truck confiscated. And, uh, and so another year goes by game wardens out in the same area. At this point, he's like, Hey man, I'm getting quotas like anything with this bear hunter up here. So he, he's, he, he, he sees the truck, but doesn't hear a shot. And so he's like, man, it's early morning. You know, I'm just going to go say hi to the guy and, you know, make sure he's got a bear stamp and make sure he's got the license. Cause it's gotta be the same guy drives up there and, and, and he, the hunter sees a game warden. He goes, Hey, Hey, Game warden, I got to tell you, I not only got the license, I've got the bear stamp. I am legit. I have learned. I'm tired of all confiscating my trucks and my guns and the bears and everything else. And and the game warden's like, man, good for you. You know, I'm just doing my job. And he goes, man, I know you are. And he goes, well, I didn't hear the shot. You you got a bear here. And he goes, oh, yeah. And he goes, okay. And he says, but I just got a question. How many times you shoot that bear? And he goes, once. Why? And he goes, well, why does he have a gunshot in one hand, another gunshot in the other hand, and one right through the forehead? And he goes, oh, well, I hit him with the spotlight. He put his paws up. <laughs> there you go. So that, for the rest of the audience, great. he went to jail again for spotlighting when he's not supposed to. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, so, man. Yeah. yeah, that's a no. We, we, so to give a little background to the audience, <clears throat> Colonel Chad Jones, right? I want to talk about what it is that you do your title and, and, and what that means to the the general public out here that's listening. Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. Yeah, my name's Chad Jones. I'm the colonel for law enforcement at Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. We have lots of divisions there, wildlife fisheries, coastal fisheries, inland fisheries, things like that. But my role there is I am the head law enforcement officer for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department law enforcement game wardens. So we have roughly 551 game wardens, 440 or so in the field, not counting supervisory staff. And as the head of that agency, I have staff that work with me, a lieutenant colonel and a chief. And then we have majors in the field, captains in the field, and field game wardens who most people see out there while they're hunting and fishing and enjoying the outdoors. But my role is to set the vision, the mission of of that division, the law enforcement division, and how we interact with the public and and also things like this, let people know what we do and why we're here and what, what we do for this, the state of Texas and conservation in general. Okay. And then with old Danny Shaw over here, you know, there is uh, a support element for Texas Park Wildlife called Operation Game Thief. So, Danny, tell us about your title and what it is that you do. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you for having us. Let me say that to start with. I mean, this is very important information dear to our hearts. So I have a title of executive director of Operation Game Thief, which I mean means I work for you. It's a big title, but you know, I spent 33 years as a game warden. I was honored to do that. Two years, almost two years ago today, I had an opportunity to move over to Operation Game Thief. I was coming to the end of my my law enforcement career. 
And this was a great opportunity for me to stay engaged in conservation. It's something I'm extremely passionate about. And, and so what I do, basically, we, you know, I do a lot of outreach education, do a lot of, of, of talking to different organizations, just spreading the message of what Operation Game Thief is, how important the citizens of Texas are to make Operation Game Thief a success, and, and working very closely with Colonel Jones and the game wardens across the state of Texas. And you were in, in law enforcement with the game wardens. I was. For how many years? 33 years. Okay. And so you retired two years ago. Has that been your main career your whole life, or did you do anything prior to that? You know, I was, a, I was a game warden for more than half of my life, 33 years. But prior to that, I, I was a teacher and, and a coach. This career as a game warden, I don't want to say it came naturally. It, it was something that I had considered as an adult. We won't go through the process of the difficulties of, of becoming a game warden and getting in the game warden academy. But so, yeah, I, I was a teacher and a coach for about five years, uh, then became a game warden in 1986. 1986. Chad, where were you in 1986? Oh, yeah, I was, how, what, what grade is eight years old? <laughs> <laughs> but you were a... He didn't say you're one year old. Uh, third grade. Yeah, He's not saying you're old, Danny. He just yeah. said you're seasoned. Yeah. He's trying to yeah. season this up. As a yeah. matter of fact, you were coaching him before you even went into the law enforcement part of this. Uh. Probably some of his older brothers and sisters. <laughs> now, Chad, what about you? You you have you always been in law enforcement? Did you do anything before? What what led you to your job? Yeah, here? you know, I, I have a kind of an interesting story that I've shared quite often. I grew up in a small town called Broadus, Texas. It's around 150 people on a good day, if the sign is correct. <laughs> it changes daily. But, uh, you know, I grew up in a town with 20 people in my homeroom class that I graduated with that I knew my whole life. So it was, it was a very close-knit community in Central East Texas. Uh, you know, one thing I'll say is, you know, we, we recently are, are working on some laws about allowing tracking with dogs in that area. And one thing I'll say about that, that lifestyle that I grew up in down there was, you know, I was telling my uncle just yesterday, I said, hey, good news. Y'all are going to be able to track wounded deer with dogs again, but you have to have them on a leash. And he goes, man, that's great news. I said, well, the, the bad news is, is all the counties around you, they don't have to use a leash. And he said, well, why is that? I go, well, because we the landowners felt like would give you a shot at it first to see how it goes <laughs> and if you can handle them on a leash, which is kind of a joke. But yeah. I, I grew up in a hunting environment. It was surrounded by, you know, uh, timber company land and national forest. Hunting was a way of life. The game wardens came to the schools quite often. Like Danny said, I won't go through the whole process of what drew me to the game warden world as far as that. But I can tell you that that early indoctrination or I would say that early introduction into what game worms are and what they do. They were, they were respected members of our community. People, I, I joke sometimes, people in my community might not like the game warden, but they dang sure respected them, but it's because of what they stood for, right? They stood for integrity and ethics, and, and they were part of their communities, and they tried to make a difference. And when I saw that as a young child in school, and when I was eight years old, you know, that instilled that in me. I said, you know what, maybe maybe this guy's on to something. You know, maybe this is a career path that I want to I go down. So, you know, a few years later, we go on down the road there and, and you know, I got a ride along, an internship 
my first ride along was a game board in East Texas, and he let me get in the boat with him and go see what they did, and I was hooked. He took me to go get me an internship. I did an unpaid internship through the college, which we still do today. It's called our volunteer program. We also have paid internships where, where students can get introduced to what we do and decide whether this is something for them. You know, I went to Sam Houston State University, graduated with a criminal justice degree, and wound up becoming a probation officer for about four or five years, somewhere in there. Learned a lot about, you know, just humans and how to interact with people and, and have some empathy and understanding, but also hold people accountable at the same time because that's that's what they needed at that point in time to to help guide them. And that really, you know, as much as I look back on that and, and look and see how much of a challenge probation was for me being new out of college and 21 years old, it really did help set a path for me on understanding, you know, people in general. And that's a huge thing of what we do with Texas Parks a lot. We deal with people. It's not just black and white laws. We deal with people. Empathy is a part of that. Uh, you know, I left there and I went, I went to the Game Warm Training Center to the Academy in Austin. And then got stationed in Brazos County, then went to Trinity County, became a lieutenant at the training center, worked for Danny Shaw here when he was a major at the training center. So I owe a lot to him as a mentor and a guide and on this journey as well. Because I left there, went to Uvalde to Southwest Texas as a captain for five years. I left Uvalde and went to Corpus Christi as a major of the Southern Texas coast, transferred back to East Texas where I was a major in East Texas and then promoted to Colonel. So I've kind of, I've been everywhere. Okay, I won't say that joke about Dallas. So <laughs> I've, been, I've been a lot of places in Texas. Got to see a lot of amazing cultures and how things work and understand how game wardens can influence those future generations. And that's a, that's a huge step of what I do as a colonel is impacting what's going to happen 5, 10, 15 years down the road for us and what kind of values we're going to instill in those communities. So how so, many years do you have with the game wardens now? 17. 17. That's a that's relatively short and young to rise to the top of the organization. Yes, sir. I've been told that. <laughs> <laughs> not the first time you've heard this. No, it's not. And you know, it, it it comes. It's a it's a mixed it's a mixed blessing, I guess, because there's challenges involved with that. And you know, I know this is kind of geared toward a leadership, and I and I'll share that. You know, part of that walking into the room when you're 15 years younger than somebody, there's questions. Are you ready for this? You know, the advice I was always given is you never find yourself in a room you don't belong in, right? There's a reason why you're there, even if you're behind the curve. Maybe I'm here to learn, you know, maybe, maybe this is a struggle I'm supposed to be in to learn who I really am and what I'm going to do. So I always took those challenges just as that. It was a challenge for me and I didn't internalize it. I made it into a positive. So you're correct. I did climb quickly. I did battle that. You're too young for this position. And then if you prove yourself and you learn from mistakes and you're self-reflective, it, it turns into success in the long run. So. so, Danny, let me ask you, being a part involved in, in Chad's career is naturally he wouldn't have ascended to this position if he wasn't a leader, right? And, and you know, law enforcement is a lot like the military. You got to have great leadership, Right. What would you say, just top of mind, was one of the top characteristics that Chad had that you knew this guy's, this guy's going to the top? He cares about people. He cares about the people that he works with. He cares about the people he supervises. He cares about the people of Texas. And, and, and you know, he's, he's very humble about what he's accomplished in, in 17 years. But, you know, Chad and I have had a lot of conversations. And for me, 
in the roles that I held as I moved through the ranks, it wasn't about how much time you have. It's about how much what you've done with the time you've been there. Chad, Chad never, you know, what I saw in, in the colonel, and, and he deserves the position he's in, no matter what his age is, no matter what his tenure is with the agency. You know, Jeremy, you've seen, you've seen people that are in certain positions and all they can think about is what the next position is going to be. So they spend their time focusing on how do I get from captain to major? What do I got to do? Who do I have to know to get to this next level? Chad, in my opinion, and I, and, and I have the same philosophy, is if you're a captain, if you're the best captain there is, the door's going to open for the next step, and then you're going to become a major. Or if you're a major and you, you're the best major that you can be, and you learn and, and you mentor yourself, when the door opens, as it did for Chad, it was a natural next progression step, and he's prepared and ready. And let me ask you, Chad, learning from a mentor like Danny, what would you say was the top characteristic that comes to mind as you were learning that, as you said, he was, he played a, a great part of being a mentor for you coming up? What would you say is the number one characteristic for that jumps out in top of mind of Danny? <laughs> well, I bet I hate to repeat what he said, but it is. It's people orientation. It's caring about those that are around you and the people, you know, to me, the most important part too is people you don't even know, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of care. And also this may seem strange, but it's accountability. You talked about that. We're a paramilitary organization, but when I, when I talk about accountability, I don't talk about like him holding me accountable, even though he did. It's, it's also learning that I have to hold myself accountable and learn from my own mistakes and how to fail forward as the catchphrase is. And when I do make a mistake, don't be afraid. You know, I tell, I, I tell this, and this is what I learned from Danny too. I tell this to a lot of young supervisors, game wardens coming up, you know, never be scared to ride out and face a challenge head on. You know, one thing is if there's a challenge and you're scared of it, raise your hand and grab it and take it and learn from it because we're surrounded by people every day. I mean, that's my success. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but I, I'm not very good at what I do sometimes. But I'm surrounded by people that can give me advice. And I, so a collective wisdom is what I like to say. There's a collective wisdom around me of 100 years worth of, of experience that I can draw on and make the best decision based off my personal experiences and those of those around me. And that's one thing Danny taught me early on. I was a very young lieutenant. I promoted quickly. I was in an academy setting that was fast paced. My opinion always counted. Now, we may not do what my thought we should do, <laughs> of course. I think that's life in general, right? <laughs> but isn't that such a valuable lesson, too? Because, you you know, the one thing I would say about Danny is he was always open to that question. And I've stole that leadership model from him, I would say, is to be able to say and sit in a chair and be like, okay, we don't agree on this, but tell me why. Tell me what your thought is on this. And he never was bashful about explaining things to me. I, I'm that guy. It's like, you know, people who've worked with me in the past go, hey, Chad's not questioning why you did it. He just wants to know exactly how it worked. How'd you come up with this? What in your life pushed you to that decision? What three things happened yesterday maybe that pushed you in a different direction than you were yesterday? I, I'm huge on processes. And for me, sometimes it's not about getting to point E. It's about A, B, C, and D that I'm super impressed with on how we – mailed as a team and get things done. 
I learned that at the academy, though. There was, what, six of us? Mm -hmm. And uh, you had to do that. You had to work together. So it kind of forced me into that role early on and kind of accelerated that learning curve. And I think that one of the things that the public may not know or realize about another unique feature of you all in law enforcement is y'all have lots of backup, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, y'all are literally like a lone ranger out there on your own many a times where the closest backup is what, 30 minutes away? Oh, yeah, or sometimes more, especially at West Texas. I mean, you may be the only person out after a certain time frame. So, no, I appreciate that question. You know, we get that a lot. We have police officers who tell us all the time, sheriff's deputies, like, I'd never do your job because you're always alone and everybody has a gun, right? I always say, hey, I have the upper hand because I know that when I go in there. I mean, game wardens are, are uniquely trained, I think, in, in such a – we get some of the best training. We have our own training center. We get some of the best training in the nation, we have lieutenants coming from Florida in a couple of weeks to see how we do things. So we're starting a lieutenant exchange program. And the reason I bring that up is kind of off base of being alone. But the thing is, is what we do here in Texas is not insular. We also learn from Florida. We learn from California. We learn from Ohio. We're, and we're shipping that knowledge out that we learn too, because that's what we talk about with care, right? We care about everybody, not just what we have in our immediate reach. And I go back to that to say that's what keeps us safe in our communities, though is we're part of our communities. We understand that. Game wardens understand what I just said. It's not about us. It's not just about Texas game wardens. You know, I remember when I left Brazos County, I was in College Station. When I was leaving, I talked to a deputy. He was a tenured deputy, 25, 30 years on. And it meant the world to me that he was he was a little upset that I was leaving because he said, every time I got a really hairy call, you'll know what that means, being a prior detective, oh, right? Yeah. When I got something kind of scary, it goes, I always calm down because you were either waiting on the road for me to get there or you were there within five minutes of me showing up. And what that does is I remember one night being on a a deserted road by myself in the middle of nowhere and I made a stop and the deputies knew who this person was and I didn't answer the radio twice because I was dealing with the situation. And then within 10 minutes, I had four deputies there. And that's the difference. When you work together and everybody's on that team and they know that you truly care for them, they'll come running and they'll show up. And that's how Game Warns have been successful on two levels. We're usually extremely well at talking our way out of situations. (laughs) Verbal (laughs) judo. We're used to dealing with, you know, not every hunter drinks, don't get me wrong, but we're used to being in that camp with 15 people who are halfway through a bottle, enjoying themselves and giving you jokes at hard times, right? So we know how to thrive in that situation. And most of those people that we're checking are members of the community we live in. So they care about us, too, because we've already shown them that we'll show up in their time of need. So we don't always get the pushback that maybe some of the other agencies would get. Now, Danny, what would you say are some of the common myths, right? Because... I think that law enforcement, and especially as we've seen in the last year, some very radical opinions towards law enforcement in general, is a lot of people, I think, don't understand law enforcement, what its function is. You know, they go, well, you're carrying AR-15s and blah, blah, blah. Well, they don't understand, look, we're not out there to, to go start wars or finish wars. We're out there to be a part of that community and that, you know, like as a Marine, you you send me into combat, my job is to kill the enemy, right? And and I better be really good at my job or the enemy's going to kill me. Law enforcement's different. I realize a 
the best shift you can have is the shift that you didn't have to put your hands on anybody or have to hurt anybody in, in, in the performance of your job, let alone being a shooting. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so people have a misconception of just think all oh, these cops are out there doing this, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's not the case, but I think even game wardens, I mean, I've learned so much, you know, from y'all, especially Danny, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'll ask dumb questions all the time. He's like, where did, where did you come up with that? You know, because there's just, I think there's a, a, a little bit of an enigma that surrounds game wardens. Mm-hmm. But for the general audience, like, what, are, what would you say are a, a couple of these myths on game wardens that you hear all the time and you go, oh, I, all right, I'm going to have this conversation for the hundredth time this year. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I think what you alluded to and what Chad's already alluded to is, is, is game wardens embed themselves in their communities and they become parts of their communities. You know, a lot of game wardens that are married, whether it's their husband or their wife, their school teachers or their doctors in the, in the community. And, and, you know, so you hear that phrase community oriented policing. I want to say that Texas game wardens invented that. And, and this leads into a lot of the things we're, well, I want to talk to the audience about Operation Game Thief is, is let me just throw some numbers out there at you and, 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 and see if they stick. But, you know, Chad said, got 440 game wardens across the state of Texas. And that sounds like a lot. But let's consider the population in Texas now is 28 million and climbing. It's probably at 29 million as we're, we're here today. There's 254 counties. There's 262,000 square miles of land. There's 4 million acres of salt water. There's 1.7 million acres of fresh water. There's 80,000 miles of rivers and streams to protect. 367 miles of coastline. Now, so it, when you hear that or you listen to that and you think back on it, you're, you're thinking, Lord, how do they do it? And I'll, I'll say this. I mean, to me, game wardens are heroes, but they're not superheroes. And so, you know, game wardens rely on relationships, right? I, I mean, I don't care what you do. It's all about relationships. It's all, it's, it's, we, we, Chad and I have talked about that. You and I have talked about that. It's about relationships. And, and again, Chad made some reference to his, to how game wardens know how to handle this situation. Game wardens care about people. They care about the resources of Texas. They can talk to someone who is the vice president of the United States that's quail hunting down to the pipe fitter or the any level of economics, race. It doesn't matter because game wardens care about people. That's one thing I really believe that the heroes that came before us that we stepped on their shoulders to get where we were built. And, and it was always in, in me was, it was my responsibility to carry that on. And, and Chad and I were at the Academy together and we spent a lot of time. It was one of the best parts of my career because it was impacting new hires, new employees. You're indoctrinating them into your philosophy, the way you do business, the way you treat people. And, and, and so it's, 
it, it's about leaving a place better than you found it and, and remembering that what you do when you're wearing that uniform in Beaumont today reflects on the guy or gal in Alpine tomorrow. It's just that simple. And, and if you keep that in your mind, so I may not have answered your question, but, mm. you know, that's, that's why I believe game wardens are so successful because of the, the community, the hunting, the angling, the, the buy-in that, that they get from people who participate in outdoor activities. Because when they approach you, they're going to approach you with the attitude of a friend. They want to communicate with you. They want to answer your questions. They want to teach you. You, you will not see a game warden. I, I've never seen a game warden not go up to a group of individuals where there might be mo a mother, father, and son or daughter. And who is the first person, Colonel, that that game warden is going to go speak to? Yeah, well, they speak to the mother first, always. So, you know, building off that, I say that, you know, we're in a time, let's not get into that. I'll say, having watched game wardens over time, I will say a, a, a key element to that that I've noticed is just what Danny said, is respect of the people that you're dealing with. It's understanding tradition. It's understanding, well, I'll just put it pretty simple. Good manners go a long way. It helps my kids in school. It helps game wardens in their jobs every day. Texas has been built around that forever. We're the friendly state, right? Game wardens follow that same kind of model. Danny built off that a little bit. You know, I was just at the academy the other day, and, you know, I always try to instill that in the cadets, and we've talked about community. We've talked about everything. And, you know, you'll notice he did say that. I, one thing that I did tell him, one thing that, that I've always seen happen as a game warden, I don't use always very often, but I, I'll use always in this. I, I can't name the number of people that I've actually taken and booked into a county jail for felonies or anything else, serious crimes, that when I was walking out of the door, they didn't say, Mr. Jones, I'm going to tell everybody I know about you. And you get a little worried. You're like, well, what are they going to tell everybody? And they, they'll say... You treated me like a human being, and I'm going to tell you today, because, because of that, I'm going to let everybody I know know that you're a good, fair person. You're firm, you're fair and consistent. I used to train horses for a living, not comparing people to that, but I'll tell you, firm, fair, and consistent goes a long way in your communities, because you're across the board the same way. It doesn't matter what your status in life is. We're going to treat you like a human. I had a, after I... It posted on my social media that I was really excited about being on the board. And, you know, and man, I can't tell you how many people reached out and they went, man, we always knew you were connected, but man, you got on their board. Like how did, holy cow. And I was like, well, they heard I'm just really good at raising a lot of money. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. Imagine how, how many people write a check just as long <laughs> as I'll stop talking. And but one friend of mine, and I'll leave him nameless, goes, well, I don't, I don't like, I don't like game work. And I said, well, Man, I mean, I, I grew up in the country, and I grew up hunting in East Texas on Type 2 land, mm -hmm. right? So for the audience, Type 2 is a permit of non—it's it, it's land you can go hunt on. it. You don't have to have a lease, but you have to have a, you know, a specific permit to be able to go out there. So I, you would in, in encounter—and in, in Game Wardens, and I mean, I'm, and of course, when I was young growing up, you know, 16, 17 years old, that was a long time ago. That was many, many decades ago. Game wardens were always professional then. And mm -hmm. that's another reason why I was excited to get an invitation to be on this board because 
I was like, so I, I was curious. It's like, man, because there's always the one off, right? right. There's always right. that one person that, you know, like I said, it's all, it only takes one to make 99 look bad out of 100. And I says, well, man, I'm curious. Tell me about your experience. And I says, walk me through. And he goes, well, you know, he was arresting me on my boat. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking. I was like, well, were you out fishing? Were you, you not have a license? And he goes, no, nah, I was out skiing with my buddies. Of course, I automatically know where this is going, right? And I said, well, well, what happened? And he goes, well, I was, you know, I'd had a couple of drinks. I said, man, I've known you a long time. I know the difference between a couple and a couple. And he was just like, well, you know, I mean, I just thought, and by the way, you, you didn't realize not only can you get a DWI driving while intoxicated, you can get a DWI boating while intoxicated. Actually, you can get an AWI. And I don't know if people realize that, mm -hmm. which is, or I can't remember, FWI, what it is, flying while intoxicated, right? And, and so, and knowing his friend, and he's a good guy, but you know, he can, I know when he drinks, he can get a bit belligerent. And, and he said, well, you know, I just shouldn't have got arrested and blah, blah. And I says, I said, well, buddy, we'll just call him buddy. His name's not buddy, but he's my buddy. I said, were you, were you intoxicated? And he goes, well, and I was like, well, you know, you and I, we've had some drinks together before. And, you know, I, I just remember is you, you generally become the smartest person in the room that likes to earn their way into situations. And when I say earn your way into situations, I mean earn their way into situations. Right. So it was kind of funny as that was the only negative story I've heard on Game Wardens. And I was like, that wasn't the Game Warden in that deal. And that was, you You talked your, you, you talk yourself into the situation, right? right? No, and yeah. so what's the funniest myth that you hear people come up and will ask you and say, is it true that Game Wardens can or whatever that you you hear and you just go <laughs> yeah well i would just say pop up out of the ground i know that sounds odd but <laughs> we we cannot teleport i'll just say that okay but there's many a hunter who's uh, literally fell out of almost out of a stand or a boat or a bush because all of a sudden they get a tap on the shoulder and they're like oh geez where did you come from <laughs> I, i've actually stood in the middle of fishing camps before for people that were trespassing and they're breaking down a camp for 15 minutes and i'm literally just standing there in full uniform, holding a silver ticket book, and I just don't move and watch them for 15 minutes before somebody goes, holy jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's their fault. That ain't mine. Hey, but, yeah. <laughs> I just love your patience that you can stand there for 15 minutes yeah. just walking well, away. How the long is it going to take them? I don't want to give away trade secrets. Collecting <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't want to say that, but that, I didn't want to give away the trade secrets. This was going to be two citations, but we're up to 20 now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to have to get a shovel and find the fish. I'll right. just wait for them to get them. <laughs> so right. what is when did when did Operation Game Thief or what we'll call for the intense purposes here OGT get started? So OGT was created in 1981 by the Texas Legislature. A Speaker of the House, Gib Lewis, who is a board member, initiated that and and pushed it through. So we're we're now in our 40th year of of existence. You know, at the time, and again, I go back to the numbers I threw out at you, Jeremy, and, and Chad knows this, that, you know, Operation Game Thief is, is, is service to the people of the state. And it, it's, a, it's a tip line, a hotline, whatever you want to call it, for people to report violations that they witness of natural resource law. And again, like we talked about, I mean, Game Warden's can't be everywhere at once, even though, as the colonel explained, people think you can. 
mean, you don't pop up out of the ground and, and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it, we have unmatched natural resources in the state of Texas, unmatched. And, and it, it's, I feel the huge responsibility to be a steward of that, as do many Texans. Break down real quick, which, and I, I think I know where you're going, but what do you mean by unmatched? We, we, have, we have more species, whether they are game animals, non-game animals, protected animals, protected birds. It's just we have such an abundance of natural resources that other states don't. Maybe Florida might match us in, in the amount of species that are available whether you're a wildlife photographer, a uh, bird watcher, a hunter, an angler, a paddler, a hiker, a biker, you, you know. So in Texas, we're blessed. We're blessed with all of these natural resources, right? And, and, and I feel like, actually, I don't just feel like this. I mean, those resources belong to the people of the state of Texas. They do. We we have ownership in that. And and I feel it. It's it's my duty to do everything I can to help protect and conserve those for my kids and my grandkids. I know I'm I look really young, but I have I have some grandkids. Is that one gray hair I see? No, no. I, I, <laughs> I thought I got that this morning. But it, you you just took me right off track. But no, and unmatched, that's what I mean. I mean, we yeah. just have a, a diverse, abundant wildlife population across the state of Texas. Now, why do we have that? Well, I think one of the reasons is, is because Texans believe so strongly in protection of those resources and take it personally. And, and that's where, why I was so fortunate to move into my new role and, and, and work, you know, very symbiotically with the, the, the law enforcement division that I left and provide that tool for people to be involved and to be, as I like to tell it, intentionally engaged. Intentionally, you've got to be intentionally engaged. And, and that's communities, that's individuals, that's organizations. And so, you know, OGT, we, we, we partner with a lot of different organizations. And again, you, you, I want to make sure people hear me when I say that we're not just concerned about hunters and anglers. We're very concerned. They're, they're a core constituency because there are a lot of them and they're recreational. Describe for the audience an angler. I know what so, that means, but the so So either works. a saltwater fisherman or a freshwater fisherman. And again, you know, once again, we have 4 million surface acres of saltwater and we have 1.7 million acres of freshwater. But wildlife knows no boundaries. And so... 440 game wardens need your help. They need your eyes. And talk a little bit whenever you want to just about the changing dynamics of the role. And, and I can let the colonel talk about the changing dynamics of, of wildlife crimes in the state of Texas. And, and you and I have talked about some of those. But they're, they're expanding. And, and people say, well, now, what, do you, what do you mean wildlife crime? Somebody shooting a deer off the road? Well, yeah, sure, that's a wildlife crime. But, you know, when organizations are trafficking turtles from Texas and sending them to Asia, now we're on a different plane. We're in a different realm. When, when 
game wardens are arresting people at the DFW airport for smuggling in frozen hummingbirds? Frozen hummingbirds. That's a different plane. You know, theft of tur- uh, alligator eggs. You know, so, so there's, this, there's, there's this huge changing dynamic that has occurred over the last, maybe not occurred, but has come to the forefront over the last 10, 12 years that now we're, we're highly and keenly aware of and how that is impacting our state. And, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. You know, game wardens are also responsible for the commercial fishing industries in Texas, shrimping, oystering, things like that. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for the Colonel, but I'm interested in that because OGT is interested in that because OGT wants to provide a service for the protection of all the natural resources of Texas, not a few species, not just some fish and some birds, all, all of this, this, the resources. And just for the audience, just to wrap their head around this is when you have 440 game wardens that are in the field in 254 counties, right? state of Texas, that is on average less than two game wardens per county. And each county is roughly on average square miles, what, 40 square miles, 50 square miles. Some, I'm trying to think of what that number would be. but On average, some 1,200. 1,200 square uh, miles. Yes. Yeah. So that's a lot of territory with very limited resources. And just so the audience understands what Danny's talking about is it's not just shooting deer and catching fish and it's not just saltwater fish and oysters it's go in and and just you just start rattling off some of the species that y'all are engaging in 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 criminal investigations that people would it would blow their mind to hear that this is what you're investigating yeah the the interesting part is you know I'll I'll throw you a curveball succulents which is cactus People don't think about that. You know, when I start, first started going out to West Texas and got introduced as a game warden to what we call border operations, which is where we were going to do our part as law enforcement, we also do conservation work. And, you know, the state of Texas was passing laws to make it illegal to remove cactus from someone else's property. And that's because, I know this seems strange, but the thing is, is California had a big move on this before we ever got here because they realized, as we do, that that is an ecosystem, right? So, the plants, the animals, other plants, the soil status, everything relies on everything, right? So I think Danny, what I hear him talk a lot about is ecosystems is how I look at it. So that's, you know, that's one. I can't tell you how many, I, I don't have the numbers. I just had a meeting with my support services special operations division yesterday. And I was talking to the CID, our undercover unit and our overt unit and the cases that they help other states work. So it's not just, I want to point that out too, that OGT actually helps with that. People can call into this hotline when their neighbor brings a black bear from California or a wolf from California or an endangered species from Wyoming into Texas. We're also involved in that as well. So a lot of those are, you know, the the Texas tortoise. We don't get a lot of cases on that, but the Texas tortoise is a protected animal here in Texas. People pick them up. They want to take them home. I mean, when you remove one, then you've, just impacted an entire system. And we have to know the gravity of that. And I agree with Danny on that. And I know it's a, it, it's not, for me, it's not a strange place to go, but I, I talked about this earlier. 
in my career as a colonel, you know, when I was a young kid going to church, one of the first things I remember in Genesis, it talks about it's our responsibility to take care of the plants and the animals and the earth and everything. I took it pretty serious. You see what I do today? Yeah. It's, it's all of our responsibilities to make sure that these resources are protected. Uh, a higher calling, if you call it that, or just for, like you said, conservation for future generations, which is our motto. But in that, you know, he, he pointed to that, and I appreciate y'all bringing that up. We have port of entry inspections going on. For port of entries, that's on our Mexico border, our land border. Uh, port of entry inspections in airports, it, it's multifaceted. We have a long-range vessel that goes out past nine nautical miles in the Gulf of Mexico that catches Mexican launches, which is boats full of fishermen who put long lines and gill nets out and indiscriminately catch everything in the Gulf of Mexico. And for that, you're impacting an international trade. So that also affects not only sports fishermen, but what people eat and how we survive. Oysters are, are huge for us in Texas. We started out as the Fish and Oyster Commission, correct, Danny? That's correct. For a reason, because we have so much water. Fishing, oysters are a huge part of an economy in Texas. And we, we work diligently to make sure that that's safe. For consumption, that's the FDA's job. What we do is make sure that these oysters don't come out of prohibited waters where they could make someone sick. We make sure that they stay within their limits. We make sure that they're not undersized. This is all for growth of an industry. So we get involved in that a lot of times, too, in that commercial side of things. But, uh, you know, you asked for a surprising one. I would say that's a surprising one. When we're when the red-eared sliders disappear and there's no cactus in West Texas, and the coyotes are gone, then people start noticing. The reason they don't cry now is because Texas game wardens are out there every day and they're working with the public to make sure that we keep this for everyone. And that's, that's real important, I think, for the audience to understand how much more important that is today. One, the population is significantly higher than it was 10 years ago versus 20 years ago versus 30, 40, 50, even 100 years ago, Right. And then on top of that, the population in Texas is growing extremely fast. I mean, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex was expected to grow by a million people just between 2020 and 2030. And now, being in a post-pandemic world, we have a lot more migration of people that are coming here. Well, here's the thing. People still have to have the basics of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Food, shelter, security. Well, all right, when your population is getting really big, you can't just train more law enforcement officers overnight. And especially with the adversity we're having to live with today. And I think that's, in my opinion, y'all don't have to, we don't have to step on that landmine. But I, in my opinion, because I'm retired from law enforcement, I can say whatever I want, <laughs> is, is that I think a lot of that's media driven, right? And, but it's important because people need to feel safe. But people need to have shelter. And me working in real estate, we have a massive housing shortage where it's causing people to overbid on houses, which is climbing the rates of buying a house. Buying a house in Fort Worth. You can't even buy a dope house for 150000 anymore. <laughs> right. And if you do, it's because it comes with the dope dealer, right? <laughs> right. And then now you got, you, you've got food. Mm -hmm. Well, food is not just something that just magically comes out of a machine like in the future on the Jetsons or anything. Right. I mean, everything goes in, into the, e I really like this ecosystem analogy because look, just like what we're seeing in, you know, I've got a house in Colorado and, and, and they're getting dirt. They just passed a bill. They're trying to get some wolves relieved out in the wilderness. And they don't understand it's because look, nature is nature, right? Regardless of how many smartphones and devices and everything else we have, guess what? We all used to not wear clothes and run around naked. 
you know, fighting dinosaurs and everything else back in the day, right? <laughs> right. There's still mm-hmm. a primitive nature to us, and there's yeah. still a, a way systems have to engage and work in order just to feed this population. And we've got deer uh, on Colorado that are just everywhere. As a matter of fact, this year alone, I bet you it's been at least six times where a lot of these roads are out in the middle of nowhere, and it's two lane, and it's backed up a mile. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I'll just drive around it, and I get up there, and it's a lot of tourists. Well, they hit they they hit a deer, and the deer, man, it's sitting there, and I'm like, has anybody, what, what are y'all doing? Well, they can't call anybody because there's no cell phone signal, and you're middle of nowhere, and you're holding up traffic for a mile. So I take out my pistol. I'm putting the deer out of its misery. I'm not going to let it sit there and let it suffer. And I drag it off the side of the road and get in my truck and go. Call well, game warden. Hey, just let you know. He's like, well, I think that's the fifth one we've gotten out there today, you know. But if they don't bring in something that's going to help thin out the the deer population, then you're going to have a lot more accidents. And I always tell people when you're driving in Colorado, it ain't the deer you got to. You hit a deer, it's going to mess up your vehicle. You hit an elk, it's going to mess you up. (laughs) Problem exactly. And so, but but it is important to preserve these ecosystems because it's also what adds to the like you said, Danny, is the uniqueness of Texas that has so many more different species and environments. And Texas is big. I mean, hell, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex alone is bigger than some states, right? And so we we have to be able to to do this. So, so with the relationship with, because I sit here, and as a matter of fact, when you're describing some of these investigations, I, I, I remember my workload as a detective. When I when I first promoted, I was baby detective. I was working in general assignments, and I was getting between this is not an exaggeration, fifteen twenty new cases a day. Of like, man, how, how at that point it just becomes a management system of what can I solve? What's mm-hmm. the closest alligator to the boat? The lowest hanging yep. fruit? Because I'm just not going to have time to get it. And in hearing you describe all of these different aspects from the trafficking of species in or out and all this square miles of everything and, and just how comp- the port of entry, all the complexity of that when you have less than two game wardens per county on average to handle all this. How overwhelming is that for the game wardens when you're just, it, it's a, it, it's, it's never going to be a balanced load that you can carry. No, no and I, I appreciate that question. Danny and I talked about that on the trip up here. You know, uh, your game wardens are asking me daily, what's your plan, Colonel? Are you going to get more game wardens? What are you going to do to lighten our load a little? You know, I lean on our managers a lot. Our captains out in the field carry a massive weight for conservation in Texas. And they help these game wardens through their life experiences. As you said, I've been... Since I've become a colonel, I have used that saying more in a week than I ever used in my life. The alligator closest to the boat. We're in a constant state sometimes of what is the closest alligator. Sometimes you have four of them and you got to wrestle them all at once, right? Captains help with that. But but strategically, yes, one or two things. I either have to work the game wardens I have today more and give them more money, which I don't have that I will have to ask for, or... I ask for more game wardens and try to disperse that load and have more game wardens in counties where the activity is. So we we have gotten specialized in some areas like port of entry inspections. We're looking at that, like how do we specialize in that and make the greatest impact? Uh, So we're using a lot of statistics, a lot of numbers now, a lot of metrics to decide, okay, 
let's look at this rationally instead of just showing up every time we get a call. How can we schedule it, make an impact? You've been through that in your law enforcement career. Numbers, people like to see numbers. That's what we're doing at the airports. We we may we partner with U.S. Fish and Wildlife out of New Mexico as their 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 main uh, supervisor. Philip Land, he works great with us. I mean, we are constantly, I think we have U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service down on the coast doing Operation Osprey, as we call it, which is a border operation based on fisheries. And they're out there today checking boats for both federal. So, I mean, I'll throw that in there. That's something we hadn't talked about. Like I was talking about the oyster boats and the shrimp boats, right? I mean, when I was on the coast, I had a captain approach me there again, a captain trying to figure out how to lighten that load. And I'll give you kind of an example of what we're talking about is they decided to, through relationships, to get Border Patrol and the Coast Guard together with a helicopter with FLIR capabilities and magnification capabilities, and they would go out and check oyster boats. The Coast Guard would check the boat for all the documents that they needed. Border Patrol would check for illegal immigrants working on the boat. They were picking up felons and people that were dangerous to be in Texas. And we were doing our job of checking licenses and oysters and everything else. And then if, say, there was a violation and say we had a, a felon from Mexico that, that, that has forbidden entry into Texas, we have a Marine Tactical Operations Group boat that would swoop in, pick that person up, take them to shore. All the same time, a helicopter is taking pictures of oyster boats that are dumping oysters on us that were illegal before we can get to them. So we have the evidence recorded. That's just one boat. And I've got what, six game warden boats out there where that same, I mean, it's just a huge operation and we have to do it as smartly as we can. So we rely heavily on our partners. And, I, you know, I keep pointing to OGT, but that's, it's the same aspect. It's the same principle, right? I'm using the federal government. We're, I don't want to say using, we're partnering with the federal government. We're partnering with local law enforcement. We're partnering with our ports. I, I don't know that people know we do that too. We do port security as well. The military uploads and offloads boats in the Port of Corpus Christi and in Galveston. We have submarines that come in that we escort in. We we have radio detective units on game warden boats that can pick up radioactive material on vessels that are coming through the ship channel. There's just so much that we do to add to our main goal of conservation law enforcement. So we add that to it because it is the protection of the people of the state of Texas. But in doing that, we run into... And most of all that that we're doing, it's because we're out there doing conservation work, and that's just secondary uh, things that we run into. And that's the reason we have the law enforcement. Uh, yeah, it aspect. is, and I, I don't want to interrupt you because you're you're exactly right. But I, if if I may, I'd like to ask you a question just because you have experience in this. So when you went to work as an officer, you probably started as a patrolman. So if you were, let's say, a three-year patrolman, and they came to you and said, hey, Jeremy, I'm going to also give you four investigations to work on, but you still got to patrol the southeast. What would you have said? What? what? <laughs> he does this to me all the time. <laughs> like, huh? So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, literally. So as, as Chad's explaining this, and I want everybody to understand that. So as we talk about lack of personnel and stretching and miles to patrol and doing it by yourself, Game wardens are expected to conduct routine patrol, but then they may run into something that requires an investigation. Well, they don't, they can't call in investigators to investigate every incident. They have to do it themselves. 
And that just adds, as you know, it's another layer of responsibility. And so you wake up every morning and you're like, oh man, I need to go, I need to go go patrol the west side of the county because it's deer season. But I got these two deer that were killed that I'm investigating. Where do I go and what do I do? And so once again, I say that the public has to intentionally engage and help because yeah. I know they care. I just don't think they know. I don't think they know the depth and the breadth of, you know, people that are stealing their resources and that's what they're doing. So how do we educate? I, I you know, I hope this is a, a part of, of opening a dialogue. We, I say we operation game thief, we have a statewide outreach education trailer that we get in front of probably 150 to 200,000 Texans a year. It, it's, it's curated. And I used that word the other day and it's captain retired. Scott Haney actually pulls that around as you well know. And <laughs> when I said he was the curator, I got some really funny looks and, and Carter Smith said that Scott kind of leaned over to somebody and said, what's a curator. <laughs> now I don't think that truly happened because Scott's a, he's an intelligent man. But so we, we utilize that. We've got a brand new one. We got a 38 foot trailer. And, and, and I would like to say before I get off that, you know, again, we've talked about partnerships. And so we had several other organizations that partnered with us to purchase the trailer, to get it outfitted and to get it on the road so we could start spreading the message. And, I, you know, Coastal Conservation Association, Quail, Quail Coalition, Safari Club International, Sabine River Authority want to partner with us. I mean, they're great supporters of conservation, something we haven't even talked about here that's it's popped in my head three or four times. If I don't shout it out, I won't remember it. But it's about environmental crimes. Game wardens investigate environmental crimes. Horrible decimation to fisheries and things people dump in. And, and so that's, you know, think about that just adds another. That's, that's another, th oh my God, environmental crimes too? So yes, I mean, the workload is enormous. And, and I really think, again, your question was, how do we get that out there? But we get out in front, of, in front of as many people as we can. We tell the story, answer questions. I've taken it upon myself to start reaching out to groups and organizations that we haven't before. And I'll throw a, a group out there. You may have never heard of them, but they're the master naturalists of Texas. and. I was fortunate. I worked with a game warden that was at headquarters that was actually a master naturalist. And he actually wrote part of their curriculum. They have a curriculum. You have to go through a curriculum. When I started thinking about assuming this role, I tried to do a little bit of research. And, and so I went to the website, master naturalist, pops up. I read their mission statement. <laughs> their mission statement's about conservation. They care about conservation. They care about land fragmentation. They care about habitat restoration. They, they do all these things to benefit the wild things that run and roam in Texas. So we're, in my mind, we're connected. That's what we care about. Are they hunters or anglers? Not most of them, but they really care about conservation. The Whooping Crane Society. What a, what a great organization. If you want to talk to some passionate people, talk to the Whooping Crane Society. 
they're extremely passionate about conservation. And, and, and so there's all these different organizations that I'm trying to get in front of. I'm trying to spread the message of Operation Game Thief and how we can serve the people of Texas and how we could benefit their organizations by partnering together to get their message out and to get my message out and get our message out. I think that's how you have to do it. I, I, I think you just have to, again, I said it earlier, it's all about relationships. You've got to develop those relationships with people. And I know in the past, you, you have some that are non-hunters and non-anglers. They're, you know, we use the term consumptive and non-consumptive. You know, a consumptive person would be an angler or a hunter that is taking a resource. Non-consumptive would be a master naturalist. The Whooping Crane Society. Those, we all care about conservation. You know, we all care about it. And at the end of the day, I think if, if we can continue to pull together, and I've said this a lot, you know, it's, it's a team sport. Conservation's a team sport. We all have to work together. And, and in the past, there's been some, some headbutting, if you want to call it, between consumptive, non-consumptive. I want to try to break some of those barriers down because at the end of the day, we all care about conservation. Whether it's we need to protect the, the, the cactus, as the colonel explained, it, 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 it can screw up the ecosystem. Whether it's the hummingbirds, that, you know, it's all those things. And so I hope I answered your question, but it's about getting our message out. To, to the broadest spectrum of, of, of individuals, communities, and organizations that we can. I'm, I'm willing to come speak anytime to any group to, to spread what OGT means to Texans. And again, we're a service organization. We, just, we want to provide a service with honesty and integrity and confidentiality. Yeah, and that, that you know, when you... When he had said, hey, what would you do if you were a three-year patrol officer and now you're handed four investigations is, man, it really makes me think of how spoiled I was in Fort Worth PD, right? Because depending on what crime it is, I might, I might call a detective. You know, if it's a robbery, I'd call a robbery detective. Sex crime, call a sex crime detective. Homicide, call a homicide detective, right? And, and it had, you know, if it's a barricaded person, you call the SWAT team. You know, there's just all these resources where you're one man marching band, when you're a game warden out there and you have all these, these things. And, and that's why OGT is so important in the relationship of, of helping with that education on conservation. So if you had to, and, and, I, and this is, this is, this will probably be a difficult question to answer mainly because there's so many answers you'd want to give to it. But if somebody was going to be educated on, you know, whether they, you you came and talked to their group, or they came to the the the, the trailer that is is on display, or, or or whatever number of reasons is. What would you say is the number one thing you want a person that didn't know about all this to leave with? Right. What would you say is one thing you're like, man, if if they just leave with this, that's going to help our mission. That is a tough question. I, I let me answer it like this, and it may not be the answer to the question, but. I've said this before, and I said, you know, I, I believe that the wild places and wild things in Texas that we benefit from improve our quality of life. And, and let me tell you, I guess maybe as I've as I've grown and matured, I, I do hunt, I do fish, 
I, I love to bird watch and I love to sit on my back deck and watch deer and turkey and dove and hummingbirds and songbirds and, and, and game wardens protect every one of those species based on what they do every day. They are protecting every one of those species. And, and so because I believe, here's why I believe it improves our quality of life. And that's, you don't hunt, fish, or participate in the activities I described to you unless you're participating with family members or friends. You, you, you do that as, with the closest people most of the time. You do, the, do that with the closest people that you know. And it's about the experience. I got a real quick story, and 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 so I've learned now. I was fishing in Baffin Bay with a retired captain and another game warden, and being the very light-footed person that I am, we were we were drifting and we were fishing, and I was moving around the boat and I stepped wrong on the on the gunnel of the boat, the side of the boat, and fell overboard. Now I didn't fall completely overboard because my knees got hung up on the gunnel. And so if you can picture from my knees to my feet were in the boat and the rest of me was underwater. <laughs> now I had my cell phone in my pocket, of course. Why would you put that in a watertight bag? <laughs> you might want to answer an email. <laughs> and, and as my head popped up the first time, I look and they're just standing there laughing. I mean, they're, they're, they've actually stopped fishing because I'm disturbing the water and they're laughing. And, and after about, seemed like a minute and a half, I'm thinking, you guys, you know, I mean, I'm drowning here. I mean, I don't have the abs I used to have, right? I'm having a hard time keeping my head above water. And so one of them reaches over and flips my foot and just throws me out of the boat. Well, okay, I'm in Baffin Bay, right? We're fishing in two feet of water. So I, <laughs> I'm drowning. Stand up. As I, as I stand up and realize, but what my point is, even today, which has been four years from now, we don't remember how many fish we caught. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't matter. We remembered those things that happened with those people you care about and the things you will remember 10 years from now. You won't remember how many dove you killed or how many fish you caught or what, what that deer was you killed. But you do remember how you continue to build those relationships with people you care about. That's why I think it's so critical. It, it just, it stirs me inside to now realize that's what you do. And like the colonel said, that's how I grew up. I grew up with my father and my uncle and, and my cousins and my brothers. And the things that I learned doing that, it was, it, it helped me in life. And so it wasn't just about the activity, but without the protection of the resources, you wouldn't have the wouldn't, activity. I would not have been able to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that, that's the critical tie nature that we're talking about is these are privileges, right? These are privileges. They can be taken away from us. They, they can be. But we can also control the illegal theft of those resources. And that's what it is. Don't, don't make the mistake. I don't want the audience to make the mistake that, a hunter is hunting dove. And I'm just giving this is just an example. And the bag limit's 15, and he's like me. He's not good at math, and he kills 16. 
And the game warden comes along, they check him, and uh, you're over the back limit. It's either educational time or it's a citation. Those aren't the people I'm talking about. Again, I want to really, really hammer. It's these individuals and it's these criminal organizations that are intentionally stealing millions and millions of dollars of our resources in Texas, and they're doing it, and, and it's, it's a difficult thing to stop without the help of the general public in Texas because they see it. They may not know what they're seeing at the time. We haven't even talked about the, the, the exotic pet trade and things that are coming in and out. And, and, and that's another thing. When you look at Florida, and I think it's the anacondas. Uh, the ball are, python, the, yeah. The, so, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah. we're working on that bill right now in the Texas legislature. Stormy King, who's our wildlife assistant commander, came up with that to present to the Texas legislature in order to protect the ball python, to put the ball python back on the exotic list. It had been moved on a taxonomy base based off science. And that's what's overrun Florida right now. So people don't understand that sometimes that, yeah, it is, it's a python that's sold in a pet store. But if we take it off of that list, then you wind up like Florida where you have Python Hunters 101 TV shows, right? And that we can't afford that because it affects our native species. You know, I think they've, they've even noticed the turtle populations, the alligator populations, the bird populations are declining in, in the Florida Everglades. In the Florida areas, because of introduction of lizards and and snakes that don't belong there, and it's a huge impact. You know, kind of building off what you said too. I want to make it very clear. One of the one of the groups that we're having a difficult time, I think, is Texas game wardens getting out to, or the people who are valuable to us as well. I noticed when Danny and I was sitting up, up front in the lounge and you have that huge window and it's overlooking that park with the grass, with a park bench. People who live in this city that go out there, see nature is relative to where you live. So if I show Danny a picture maybe of a basketball court with three trees around it, maybe he doesn't see nature. But the kid that goes out there every day sits against the fence and watches the birds and squirrels play in those trees, that's nature to them. And I understand that as a colonel, and that's what I'm trying to have our game wardens understand, too, that that park out there could be a nature preserve for some citizen here in Fort Worth. But if not for Texas game wardens, not for OGT and organizations like that, SRA, CCA, you wouldn't be able to sit in that park, possibly, and see a butterfly or see a bird or have clean air blow by or go down to a stream and just enjoy a day watching fish, even if you're not fishing. If not for Texas game wardens going out every day and patrolling, if not for Texas Parks and Wildlife having biologists that do studies through science-based laws and then put those into acts, game wardens wouldn't be here to enforce it, and we wouldn't have this. And it's vitally important to what we do, not just for hunting and fishing, but for the person that stops on the side of the road to snap that sunset picture, and you have the beautiful trees and the grass and the birds and the bugs. If not for Texas game wardens, that might not exist. So if I had to understand and sum up the role of what game wardens and OGT does is it's there to help ensure the balance of ecosystems. On a broader term, yes. Yeah. If now, you're looking at the, uh, what do you say? The 35,000 foot view. Exactly. That's right. exactly now there's a lot more about. that goes in to that naturally, mm-hmm. but, but from that 35,000 foot view of, you know, helping keep the balance of ecosystems with 
the most minimal resources there is to be able to go do that. Limited personnel, limited technology, limited equipment, limited everything else. So learning to do like what we call in Marine Corps combat multipliers, like, hey, let's add some of these other resources like you were talking about with the beds and the and the border patrol and mm-hmm. everybody else working together to try to to try to do that. Is you know, so what what would you say, Danny, is for somebody that identifies well, let, well, let, let me break this down to two questions. One, somebody sees something and they don't know if that's a crime or not when it comes to conservation. Where could they go to be like, hey, wait a minute, can you be doing that? A great question because people ask, well, what do you want people to do? Well, just what we talked about. We don't want people to engage people they think are violating the law because that's a bad idea. But if you can get as much information as possible, you know, if, if, if it's a land thing, vehicle, description, license plate, people, what do they look like? What are they wearing? You know, all those things that, that, that you would have wanted as an officer. And we can relay that immediately to a local game warden who then can hopefully respond and, and see if there's anything to it. They may have to do a follow-up. And that's what's important, you know, as you know. If you can get a license plate or if you're on the water and you can get a TX registration number, you've just you've made this a, an easier process. Because if a game warden can't get there when the act is occurring, they're going to have to try to do an investigation. And if all you got is two guys in a blue car, I don't even know what color car, we're we're not going to be able to do any good, right? Yeah, your hands get a bit get a bit tied up. They and, do, and that's and that's so important. You know, I mean, you know, naturally, I live in the middle of the city of Fort Worth, so the most exotic thing I see is my cat chasing squirrels. But but in Colorado, is during the day, I've got these. I think they're called Fat Albert or Prince Albert squirrels that are gray squirrels with bunny ears on them, right? And I got this big pine tree out in my backyard, and and I got the little block up there comes up there and eats and I got all the different birds. So I see that during the day. And then in the evening, I've got all these deer that come through my backyard. And then at night, and I've learned about hummingbird feeders. That it's, I got this black bear. He keeps getting a hold of my <laughs> hummingbird feeder. As a matter of fact, it's been wintertime. So he's, he's been, uh, and, I, and I, 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 I got camera system blowing my house up there. So I get to watch it because I was like, what was that noise last night? Because I got up and then it was gone. And it's this bear, you know, and he, he comes to the front you know, we got a fox, we got a porcupine down at the end of my driveway. You know, you got all these things that, you know, what it's important for that conservation. You know, I'm just using Colorado's example because sure. I see more of it there based on where that house is compared to where my house is here. And that's one of the that's one of the magical things of people that come to my house. They're like, What's that down at the end of the driveway? And I'm like, Well, that's Pete the porcupine. I wouldn't pet him. <laughs> right. right or right. when you're sitting there and we're on the back patio and you got a little fire going in my my fire pit there and you see these bucks come walking through and i'll, I'll show you a quick video when you're done out of here and, and they're huge and people are like whoa you know man that's really cool and then when they go well there's there's this what's what's that Little black critter with with the white stripe down the back of it. I was like, you don't want to get close to that one. <laughs> That's called a skunk, right. you know. And they're like, well, what do you what do you do about that skunk? And I said, well, as long as skunks don't bother me, I don't bother the skunk. 
You know, and I said, well, first, he's probably going to win that fight anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this is part of the natural habitat around there where the little tiny chipmunks that are running up and down. And and it, and, and, and that's the important part because how could you enjoy, you know, these things that are very cool? Because, for example, take someone that maybe grew up in the concrete city of New York, never left the concrete city of New York. They get to come to Texas and they're sitting here visiting the, the, the look of surprise in, in folks. Of like, what is that animal? And then you know you're like, well, that's a that's a coyote. Right. Well, I've heard of coyotes. I've never seen a coyote or whatever that is. And and this that experience, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, if it was even a little green space down here where kids could see birds or or butterflies or or whatever else. So it, you know we as we said is there's not enough game wardens to go through and, and do all this that. The purpose of Operation Game Thief, or one of the many purposes, is to help educate the citizens here in Texas and even the visitors here to Texas to say, hey, help us keep this not only for you, but for your kids and your grandkids and their kids and their kids, that it continues not just till next year, but hundreds of years, you know, from now. And 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 that's and that really does become what I feel is the responsibility of all of us as citizens. However, because Danny hit a good point. If you see a criminal act, report it, don't engage with it because you probably don't have the training. You don't know if that person's armed or not. You don't know if they maybe got, you know, mental health problems or whatnot. Just you, you can do more by gathering as much information, as much intel on that as possible from license plates, heights, color shoes were they wearing you know i i can't tell you it's like hey i i had a a crime or one of my my sex crimes i worked in well i mean they couldn't identify a lot of things now we had dna right that ultimately in this case but the guy was wearing wearing what we'd now call face coverings (laughs) (laughs) right mask right Right. where we couldn't identify but but the victim had said he was wearing a particular set of shoes and of course i was amazed i was like well how do you how did you even know what kind of shoes they were? And had a younger brother who was really into sneakers and stuff like that. And that's how she knew about the shoes that when we did identify a potential suspect and we were able to, and I'm, I mean, there's a lot more detail that goes into a particular case a long time ago, enough for us to get a search warrant that when we saw those shoes and these were a unique pair of shoes, I was like, Hey, that, that helped. Now, there was a lot more pieces of evidence that went into this. We ultimately were able to secure a, a warrant for DNA and then match the DNA. And sure enough, you know, you know, mystery solved. But even as much detail as possible, did, did, was it a blue truck? You didn't catch the license plates, but did it have tinted windows or not? Right. Or or a big scrape down the back quarter panel, right. a broken taillight, mm-hmm. whatever. So, so for the audience out there, being able to report and report, if I hear you correctly, report it anyways. It may not be a crime what they're doing, but if it is, try to gather as much detail so that way it does give that game warden that receives the lead at least a, a better chance of trying to identify who this person is. You know, and like you said, you're not looking for the person that accidentally shot 16 versus 15 dove or whatever else. You're looking for the for the people out there that are out there decimating a whole field of dove and then selling them for whatever, wherever, 
for whatever particular reason of profitability on their part, that was against the law, right? Sure, That's absolutely. Yeah. I, I think Chad will agree with that. I mean, no, you made a you made a good point. The 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 more the more information you can get, we we've often kind of joked. Uh, it's not even a joke. Laughed as game wardens and and said that you know a wildlife crime oftentimes is harder to solve than a homicide <laughs> because the deer, the squirrel, the fish. The turtle they're stealing, they don't have friends that can talk to us. We don't know what bar they were at 10 minutes ago. There wasn't a camera on the sidewalk to see who was with them when they disappeared. Uh, Sometimes that's all we have is some tire tracks and somebody heard a shot and it was midnight. And that's what we've got. And we have to run with it. And, and, so. and if that deer does start talking to you and give a witness statement, yeah, we've got yeah, we got some other set of problems that we need to discuss. <laughs> exactly, because it, yeah. it's interesting, like you said, when would I have talked to detectives such as yourself? You know, they're very difficult cases. And then you go, okay, so th- this is your scenario. You hear a shot at midnight. You get a phone call. The guy heard a shot. The gal heard a shot, and they saw a square headlights leaving their pasture. Now go solve it. And that's what we get left with sometimes. Yeah. And believe it or not, game will solve it. They do. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. That's the interesting part, but it's because there again, somebody down the road saw that same truck and they go, and oh, well, it was a Bobby truck, truck that well, I saw at midnight. Exactly. Right. Or, yeah. hey, you know what? Pete drives through here every day at, at 1.30 in the morning because he works at the bread plant. You yeah. know, it's, it is it is that. It's the communities. Texas isn't a public land state. We never have been. We don't have the luxury of our Western states where people have places to go. And I'm not condemning private land status in Texas. We're proud of that. Yeah. You know, we really are. And we, we demand that. But with that, there's less opportunities and less opportunities because of urban sprawl that you talk about. And more people are moving from the country into the cities, which gives us less witnesses as to what goes on and less people provide an overwatch over those. So as people move toward urbanization, game wardens are losing some of their alliances in this fight. And we got to maintain that. So people who own, like you were talking about, not to single you out, but people who own houses in downtown Fort Worth, but then they go back to grandpa's land on the weekends, they're, they're, you're vitally important to what we do. And if we can educate people who live here in the city that come back to the rural area, how important those resources are, and while they're gone, we're watching it. And we're going to take care of it. But we need your help. So I like to wrap all these episodes up with... I mean, you. The amount of just experience both of you have, not just in law enforcement and conservation and, you know, being a probation officer, being a school teacher, if you had to go back to 20-year-old self and say, hey, 20-year-old self, there's a lot of things we'd love to tell. I'd, I'd probably slap 20-year-old me around and be like, whatever you do, don't go out on this one. but but if you could go back and talk to a 20 year old self and actually I want to do something unique here because we do talk about education on conservation I want I'm going to start with you Danny and then you Colonel what would you tell 20 year old self hey do or don't do this knowing the journey in life that you had and all the success and, you know, because you got there by never experiencing pain or doing something wrong, right? (laughs) Absolutely. What would you go back and tell 20-year-old self? And then I want you to follow it up with is, what would you tell a 20-year-old today about conservation and the importance of this? All right. I'm going to, you, you started with me and you made this difficult. I'm going to, I'm going to try to answer your question. We've talked about this a little bit. So 20-year-old self 
I would say, and I use this word again, but understand and be intentional with your relationships. Don't take any for granted. And, and sometimes it, it may be hard to do, but I mean, it took me, it took me a, a, a good while to understand how important each interaction with one person might be, right? Because you don't know, you know, and I, and I should have snapped on that, but I'm a little slow. And, and I say that because my first duty station was in Port Isabel, Texas in 1986. I still communicate with people from Port Isabel, Texas. Now you would say, well, you were pretty intentional with your relationships. No, they were more intentional than me. But that in turn taught me that you you have to stay connected with people. And you 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 learn just like I have with the colonel. I mean, you know, he was very complimentary of me. I learned as much from him as he learned from me. You know, and and so that that to me is is something that that I would go back to myself when I was 18 or 20. And, and don't be the brash, don't be the, you know, you're the greatest flash that ever walked the, from San Angelo into, you know, wherever you've gone, but be, be more intentional about your relationships with people because they're, they're, they're so important to your life in the future and not about what you can get out of it, maybe what you can give to people. Right. And, and, and so that, that's what I would say to to me if I was 18 and I could go back now and go, Hey, smart Alec, <laughs> slow down a little bit and, and deepen relationships with people and, and understand where they're coming from and how, how you can help them, how you can help them. Again, you learn more from that or I always have, and, and I'm not the best at it. I'm not saying that, but I always learned more from others than they probably ever learned from me. Okay. And what would you tell a young 20-year-old out there now about OGT? You know, I, 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 would, I, I would tell them that, again, I fully believe that, that, that in Texas, our natural resources will, whether they realize it at, at 18, and some do and some don't, that it will improve your quality of life. I really do. And again, I, I tied that all back in, and I'm not intentionally doing that. But it's about relationships. Again, it's about OGT is providing a service that we need your help to help us protect and conserve all of our natural resources, private property rights in Texas, that in 10 years from now, when you take your one or two-year-old out, you can watch that smile on their face when they either see their first squirrel or see their first dove or see their first bird or, you know, it's just, I mean, as the Colonel said, we're, we're becoming Texas. People are moving toward the urban cities, but they still have to go back out. Most of them into the rural areas to, to do a lot of activity. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what I'd say. Yeah. Just you, you're it, 10 years from now, you're going to see the value in, in protecting our natural and cultural resources in this state. And they're going to mean something to you. They're going to mean something to your friends. 
They're going to mean something to your children. They're going to mean something to your children's children. And they're going to be important because you're going to be able to participate in activities that are going to bond you, that are going to bring you closer together, that are going to allow you to sit on the riverbank. Not talk about fishing, but talk about school. Talk about friends. Talk about failures. Talk about successes. Let me explain to you, boy. (laughs) I did this wrong. I'm I'm trying to give you advice. You know, those are the things that I got. That's what I grew up with. That that's why, again, the the the, the real passion for that is because it just wasn't about the hunt and the chase. It was about the memories I took away. My uncle, and my dad are gone. That's what I have left, and I, I wouldn't trade those for ten for ten million dollars. Those are the things I remember. Those are not everything, but they were real special times. They really were, you know, because it was me and them. I had their full attention. Even when I did something stupid, I really had their full attention. Mm-hmm. But that's, so that's what I'd say. Okay. And Colonel, you had to go back and talk to 20-year-old self. And uh, be that the first part. And then the second part, just about what would you tell a 20-year-old who's now going to be entering maybe new into the into the, the hunting world and, and whatnot. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I believe, yeah. I believe I, I, I know where you're going. You know, Danny, I don't want to say maybe he gave me the answers 11 years ago and I didn't realize it. So we, we tend to mirror each other a little bit on what we say, but you know, if I had to go back to 20 year old self, always an interesting question. Like you said, there's things I'm not going to say over this podcast that I would go <laughs> back and go, Hey, wait a second guy. <laughs> but I will tell you this, what I've learned in the last few years that I wish I'd known is not to shy away or be uncomfortable with uncomfortable situations. I've learned more in my life by putting myself in the situations where I kind of stutter step and go, wow, I don't know if I want to have this conversation. I don't know if I want to be in this environment. I don't know if I want to take that challenge. What if I fail? So to learn at the age that I am now to be confident in myself that when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm in that little edgy space, that that means I'm expanding my horizons and I'm learning is very valuable to me. Mm -hmm. As I said here today, if I had known that when I was 20, where would I be at this moment? I know some people may look and go, well, you're the Colonel of Texas parks of wildlife. And, and Danny's right. Maybe I am too humble at times about that, but I do go, what, what impact could I have had that was greater than that I waited until now? So that's what I would say. If I was talking to a 20-year-old now coming into just, just say, conservation law enforcement, getting new into hunting, they're just now discovering this wild places, as Carter Smith says, our wild places and wild things. I stole that. (laughs) He doesn't have it copyrighted. (laughs) he, He got rid of that. But, you know, I would say don't wait for your opportunity. Seize that opportunity. You know, Danny and I talked about that on the way down. What's one of the keys to my success is, and I, I think I alluded to that earlier, when there was a challenge, I raised my hand. I learned that early on to go, hey, okay, I'm going to do that. I just identified now in the last probably five years that that's that uncomfortableness I'm talking about. And I was craving that because I was learning and I was becoming a better person. But for those that are listening right now, when it comes to conservation law enforcement, you can get involved at any level at any time. You can't wait for somebody else to come along and introduce you to the outdoors. 
You can't wait for somebody to come along and explain necessarily the importance of conservation and animals. You have to get out there and you have to experience them and you have to enjoy them. And then you're going to grow that passion. If I can help you do that, by all means, look us up on our website. We have recruiting pages. We have Instagram pages. We have Facebook pages. It's not difficult to find a Texas game warden. We can help you do that. You know, I told a group, an audience in Uvalde County at one point in time, my job at that point as a captain is not to keep people off of public waterways. It's to get as many people on that river as I can so that their way of life, that their quality of life, as Danny Shaw said, is enjoyable, that they can have fun in the outdoors. They can experience the things that I took for granted when I was two years old, five years old, eight years old, 20 years old. I grew up with it. I take it for granted at times. It was amazing what you just said. Like you said, someone from New York sees a porcupine. It might as well be an alien. Mm-hmm. They've never seen one. For me, that's natural. Like you said, nothing. I, do I have an excitement about that? Game wardens, and I'm sharing a little here. When I was an intern, I used to do ride-alongs as a game warden, and they would chuckle every once in a while because I'd be like, hey, stop, there's a bunch of turtles. And they're like, I see turtles every day. One thing I can tell you about the colonel of Texas Parks and Wildlife Game Warden right now, I still stop and look at turtles. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody, game wardens, I got 551 of them that work hard for Texans. They can laugh at me all day, but I tell you, I can see a nice sunset. I see an animal on the side of the road that I admire. I'm going to stop. And so I'll add to that. If I were to tell myself also, it's exactly what Danny said. Slow down. When you see it, enjoy it. It was put here for you, and we all have to take care of it. Man. So people want to learn more on TPW. Where, where do they go? What, what, what's the website that they – or is it tpw.org? <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, I'm going to be completely honest yeah. with you. I don't carry it around with me. I tell yeah. people at gas stations all yeah. the time. I'm like, yeah. you know what Google is? I'm yeah. like, just type in Texas Parks and Wildlife. <laughs> you will learn anything you <laughs> want to know about it. And and the reason I say that is, is it's not difficult to find us, but if they'll go to that main website, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, they'll get to, they'll be introduced to everything we have. We have divisions that will teach you how to kayak. We have divisions that will teach you how to go take photographs of animals. We have divisions that will take you out on hikes. Our state parks division is amazing. We give Texans opportunities to get out into the wild with that. At all times, we have park peace officers who protect those parks to make sure they're safe for Texans who doesn't have land to go out to. They can check out our Facebook page under Texas Game Wardens. We have an Instagram page now, with which is recruiting. That is super beneficial if you're trying to figure out what we do. And those are great sites that you can visit. But we're always there. 4200 Smith School Road is a public place. They can always stop by and visit there as well. Okay. And Danny, people want to learn more about Operation Game Thief, where where do they go? Where do they do? How do they know, get a hold of you? They, well, they can go to our website. It's OGTTX.org. That's where they can go. That's where they can call us. They can they can find out where we're at. We go to a lot of shows. We love to talk to people. Can they can they donate on the site? They can the site? actually donate on the site. Like I said, we're a 501c3 and 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 that's how we live and that's how we operate is is public donations to OGT. And we want to be of service. And I just, you know, you want to call and talk talk conservation with me, I'd love to talk to you. And then there's a 1-800 number. Get that 1-800-792-GAME, G-A-M-E. They can call that number. That is a direct tip line 
to the LE dispatchers if you see or believe you've seen a violation of the law. Okay. And, and in case you're driving down the road and weren't able to catch all these numbers and websites and everything else, you can always go to www.myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Click on podcast, scroll down to Danny Shaw and Colonel Chad Jones, and, and you can hit the read more button to take direct access. Gentlemen, thank you for coming. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. What'd you think? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You like it? Yeah. yeah it's it's oh, oh, oh.